Welcome into the Tottenham Depot. I'm your host, Andrew. You can follow me at Aestetka. You can follow us on both Twitter and Instagram at Tottenham Depot. I'm joined today by my friends Shuban and Scott. Let's start by throwing it out to at the real Shuban out there in London. Shubans, what's going on, my friend? I'm good, thanks. I hope you guys had a good Thanksgiving. And always, as as um, Tiki says, any chance you get to chat Spurs your mates, it's always a good day. Yeah, Especially it, when- it- it is indeed, even though we don't really have as much to talk about as we thought we would. We'll get into that in a minute. Uh, we've also got Mr. At DSM Spurs with us. Scott is on board. Scott, what's going on, man? Not much, man. I actually woke up at 7 a.m. this morning, which was an hour after kickoff, and was thrilled to find that I hadn't missed anything. So come on, you fucking snow. Yeah, come on, you snow, I guess. Uh, Tottenham Burnley postponed today due to inclement weather which is not something that i ever imagined that i would say on this podcast um they certainly were able to clear the snow enough in manchester to play and and even at uh, some other lower level clubs but turf Moor and burnley uh had their issues today Burn- and you know like it's not like around the corner just just i know like you people think england's really small but burnley and Man- <laughs> it is really small <laughs> it, 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 it is but it's not it's it is one of the relative things, but it's not not as if like do you know what I mean, it's like I step outside and suddenly I'm in Bristol or something. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Give us some credit. I mean, did you see the snow in Manchester today though? There was quite a bit of it and they were able to play a football match. So uh, yeah, I think I think to be totally fair, that stadium is was designed to be all year round used kind of thing. And they've got they probably have a much better undersoil heating system. And they probably were very prepared for it. Do you know what I'm yeah. saying? Because Storm Arwen has really battered the crap out of the UK and something. But like I said, I'm surprised they didn't cover the thing overnight because that's generally what they do. You know there's going to be snow. You cover it overnight so to prevent serious freezing and then you can make sure the things, whatever. I'm, I'm not a soil pitch expert, but that's what I expect. But like I said, I, feel, I mean, I feel sorry for the fans. I mean, my friend Chris from Supplement, I'm going to give him a plug. He travelled from Mora via... Literally, he said, Chris lives in Portsmouth. He travels straight from Slovenia to Manchester, which is actually quite difficult rather than going through London. Sure. You know, and then he traveled, and so he's been traveling for at least days, something, and he's finally just, he just, and they canceled. Obviously, uh, my, 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 my our buddy Ken from Dallas Spurs had 31 hours. Um, Scott's friends, is it, is it Mary? Is that her name? Mm-hmm. From, I think, BC Spurs. She had a nightmare journey, so I, you know, I thought, I'll go credit to Mickey Hazard. He's he's sorted out Ken, but hopefully, you know, there are other people that have travelled quite far, and I'm hopefully, you know, like that. Obviously, Mary, from, I don't know her last name, so Mary from DC Spurs, but hopefully, he'll see her, sort her out because obviously, we have Brent. You know, I think we've got Spurs Legends night for the Brentford game and and the Norwich game on s- Sunday as well. So it's going to be tight. I mean, quite a lot of matches going to happen. Yeah, obviously the the safety of the of the players and of everyone traveling is is you know of of utmost importance, and that's all fine and dandy. I just wish it it would have it would have been um you know nice to have a little more than a forty five minute window before kickoff that that they made this decision. If it could have been made you know even hours before, it could have probably saved quite a few people um, the heartache of of getting up to turf more. You know, media members and. Uh, it's it's not an easy trek, as we know, and um, safety of the players and and is always going to be you know, paramount. But thing is, one of my friends, Joe, she's a wheelchair user, and I've got to go give credit to the Burnley fans who get a lot of crap, but they helped her get off the train, helped her get back on the train, and this is when football really shows it's. I mean, look, football like I remember like matches getting moved at the last minute just to accommodate TV schedules. The fans, football's about the fans, and the fans have been really good. They've been helping other fans who've just been coming up, helping them out. Saying, Look, if you can't go here, I mean, they have been really good. So I'll give credit to the Burnley fans, you know, whatever you, whatever they've done. Like, you know, I know the plane that came over last year and all that kind of stuff with their, with their little banner, but they are really good. And that is why um, I, I forgot his name, but he calls he calls Turf Moor his happy place, or in this case, his very happy snowy place. Perhaps they they just need um you know a, a little bit better of a heating element under that pitch. Apparently, it has one, but it it, it didn't really work that well. And I guess it's not, the amount of snow and everything else just conspired against uh, Spurs and Burnley 
um, being able to play this one. It, you know, and look, this is first world problems and everything, but it does kind of create a real problem for both of these clubs now because you got to reschedule this match somewhere. And as we know, fixture congestion is real. It's a real thing, um, especially this time of year as we start to, you know, think about flipping the calendar to December. And I'm really curious as to where the hell this game is going to be put on the calendar. I, I would think that they try to push it back into the spring at some point um, where there's maybe a little bit more freedom to do so. I don't think they're going to try and play it, you know, in a couple of weeks when, you know, there's a there's cup matches and there's there's holiday congestion. But um, I, I don't know, guys, it, it seems like uh, this is going to be a tough one to to reschedule. And, and I'm well, really curious as to how, how much that screws both Spurs and Burnley going forward. I'm, I might push back a little bit and say it's actually it might benefit us, man. And and Conte is the reason. I just think now we have another four or five days to continue to prepare without having to potentially risk points because we'll get into Thursday, right? But Thursday is not an anomaly, right? This team has a shit ton of work to do, and now we mm-hmm. have four or five more days to to put that work in before points are on the table or whatever it is, right? So, um. I think, you know, that that could be a debate that we could sit in armchairs and go over for hours and hours, right? And, and we'll never know. But there is an argument that, that this could be a benefit to Spurs as well. I think especially if we can get a result against Brentford. I mean, I'm looking forward to it. Because obviously, I think uh, Charlottesville Spurs are coming down for that game. I'll get to meet them finally, mm-hmm. which, is, which will be great. And um, for me, it's just a case if we can get a good result against Brentford, then, you know, they are a really solid team. I was actually hoping to get one of my friends who's actually – both, uh, so she's a Spurs fan. Both both her and sister are Spurs fans, but they're also because they live in West London and you know, near Brentford. They have a, a you know they have affection for Brentford itself, and um, it, you know so I should have thought about bringing her on to the pod. But um, no, it's just the idea that if you you know Brentford are really well organised. I think they tonked Everton four 0 or something four one or something. They so they, they they are not to be messed around with and. No, yeah, not we, at all. No, they're 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 the real deal. I mean, they yeah, they smacked Everton around today. They're a mid-table club, but they're they're a dangerous mid-table club for sure. And do you know what? If anything, it's where he can basically say to Conte, "Do you know what? Everything Brent, the reason Brentford are doing well is because they're working hard for each other. There's no 50-50 balls. They're making those fifty-fifty balls seventy-thirty in their favor. You know, when they yeah they 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 yeah you know, they what they're doing, Thomas Frank. I mean. Brentford was was a weird club in terms of the fact that they sacked Mark Warburton. They changed things around. They, I think they got rid of. I think they changed things with their recruitment and everything. And everyone's saying, "Oh, it's not going to work." And last year, because of the pandemic, I think they had to play playoff final against Fulham. I think it was, and they weren't able to go up. I think they Fulham scored on a free key, free kick or something. And it was like, "Oh my god!" And then Brentford. I think they lost. Two of the BMW, I think it was it. Um, Watson went, I think who's the other one? The one that went to West Ham, what his name? But but they but what they did was they kept faith with their system, they've kept faith with their manager. And Griffin Park, it's not there anymore, it's now Breakfast New Stadium. But it's you know, it's well, what you think about it, it's a local club, hasn't got a very big catchment, has huge rivals in terms of you've got. Obviously, you've got Chelsea, QPR, which is a massive club as well. People realize how big QPR are. And, you know, they're fighting, punching well above their weight. So for, for Brentford to be up there is amazing. And I'm hoping that we can even match. I mean, I think we beat Leeds for the, like, kilometers run. I'm hoping we can do that again against Brentford. If we do that, then we have a chance of beating them. If we don't, if we can't match their work rate, there is no way we can beat Brentford. And if Brentford win at White Hart Lane, or then... Yeah, no question. Let's b- before we get too far looking ahead. Let's let's look back first because you know Scott mentioned Thursday. Uh, we all kind of witnessed what that was. Um, Spurs go out to you know out to Slovenia and lose uh, to NS Mura, and this was guys. I was like really actually encouraged by this lineup when it first came out. I thought it was a good enough rotation. Um, I thought the fact that Harry Kane was in the lineup was a good thing. Um, I really enjoy, I really just liked the setup and I liked what I saw and it all just kind of went to shit immediately. Um, you know, Spurs give up the goal. Um, what was it about 
you know, 11 minutes in and, and then Ryan Sessegnon is sent off after 32 minutes after two, two straight uh, yellow cards. Um, this, this game, you know, it, it was kind of always there for the taking Spurs equalize in the 72nd minute through Kane uh, and then give up uh, the, the, the winner on the really the last kick of the match um, and, and credit to, to Mura. I mean, that's their first, first European um, victory, I believe. And I know it was their first European victory in the, in the, in the conference league this season. They're obviously going to finish bottom of group G, but Spurs looking forward now really have a, a task on their hand to even advance out of this group. They, they sit second, but they have Ren on the final match day, which is a week from Thursday uh, and the test play Mura. So, you know, that's going to be a battle to, to even advance that Spurs can no longer win the group. If they do advance out of the group, they're going to have to play the extra knockout round in the round of 32. So um, it kind of against all the went Europa League team too, so against be... the Europa League team. And it's interesting when you look at kind of who the third place Europa League teams are, there are some, some real teams there. You've got Real Sociedad currently in third Napoli, um, Marseille, um, Celtic, um, potentially, you know, potentially even, Teams like Dynamo Zagreb, which um, wouldn't we all wouldn't we all love that? Um, yeah, would be back in jail. I remember. Yeah, good good question. Um, there there are some some real teams that could you know drop down. PSV uh, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be something if we had to face uh, Vinicius and, and and PSV and they came you know they came to Spurs and and in, in that knockout round and and did some damage so. You know, now you're looking at you, if if you do advance out of out of the the conference league, which is still a real possibility, you have to face that extra extra round of knockouts against a, a, a decent side. So, but when it comes to Thursday, guys, I mean, you know, Scott, I'll start with you, man. What did you just think of the lineup? Because I didn't, I thought it was a good rotation, and I thought, okay, this is a team that can go to Mira and and actually do a thing. But as this team continues to prove over and over again, there's just no depth in it. Yeah, I mean, I was kind of surprised by a few of the names that started, actually. And when I look back, I'm I'm not at all. I understand why Conte started them, because I think Conte was using using that match to, to give a couple guys an opportunity to, to not prove their ability on the field, but to prove their desire and, and willingness to, to, to suffer for the team, right? And we certainly didn't see some of that. But um, I, I do look back and understand why he went with the lineup he did. Um, but it was strong, um, stronger than I expected. Like I, I said at the beginning of that little rant, but, um, you know, it should have been plenty to get the job done. And, um, you know, as you alluded to, there was some decent rotation and I think he rotated about as much as he could, but again, no depth. Right. And that kind of, for me, begs a bigger question that I'm sure we get into about how he actually, move forward in this competition but Thursday was was you know a rude awakening for this club in terms of uh you know looking at how much football might actually be asked of us this season and the little again depth that we have to get ourselves through that so well you say no depth though, but like Darty has played what three what is it for Wolves he's played two seasons for Wolves played in the Europa League as well played for us so he's not bloody you know some kid or something Mm-hmm. Ryan Sesson has played in the Premier League for Fulham, played a little bit for us. He's played in Germany. So when you look at the players that we've got that were, that were out there, especially in that midfield, I mean, I, mean, I mean, David Sanchez has been playing for many years at Spurs. Uh, I think who, who else was playing? I think the Tanganga. I think Rodon was the only other player, was it? Rodon, you can say Rodon maybe was probably the only, because he's not really played that much. He didn't play that much under Mourinho. And he's coming up from the championship, but and Galini obviously, but but apart from that, you've got ten players, ten nine, eight, eight, at least nine players that have had at least two, uh, basically have had at least two levels, two seasons of top flight football against no sense of Mora because Mora didn't even exist ten years ago. Mm-hmm. That's well, what you have to know. Exist ten years ago. Well, so no, he, and you're right, and I think like the, it, you make a great point because it's not that we don't necessarily have depth in numbers; we just have no depth in in talent and ability right now. And it's right. It's, I think that's where it is. It's staggering, you know. Like it's we we do have we have three guys that can play right back, right? Um, we have six center backs that can that can that can play the position. We have two guys that can play left back. Um, 
I, I will say on Sessignon quick, I don't I don't fault him much on Thursday. Obviously, it was a stupid red card, but what I mean by that is I think he showed what Conte was looking for. Conte, he's a young kid. Conte can 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 work that red card out of him, right? But I I would I would rather see somebody go in and take a take a red card playing hard than a Tongi who just like left twenty acres of you know space in front of him and had no desire to use any of it and just passed the ball sideways. Which I I I I will say on that note too. Sorry, I'm just going down rabbit holes after rabbit holes, but. I'm not one to complain about sideways passes, blah, 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 the Winx game. Like, I'm a huge fan of, of even aimless possession at times, just pull the other team out of position. But Tongi is expected to drive the ball forward. He is expected to be a progressive ball-playing midfielder. And on Thursday, had no interest in progressing the ball. And I would be surprised if we see him play again under under Antonio Conte. I really would. That's a that's a I mean that's a bold statement. I I want to get to some of the some of the Conte quotes after the game were actually really telling. Um, you know he said, and these are all quotes coming from from Jonathan Veal. Uh, you know after the press the press conference afterwards, he said after three weeks, I'm starting to understand the situation. It is not simple at this moment. The level at Tottenham is not so high, which. I think any any cynical Spurs fan, which is to say any Spurs fan, would say, duh. Um, he also said, I am happy to stay here, but we have a lot to, of, lot to work, a lot to improve the quality of the squad. We are Tottenham, but there is an important gap with the top teams, but I am not scared. I think that's kind of just a reassuring, like, he's not he's not bailing on this, obviously. He's, you know, he knows that he, I think he knew what he he, he was getting into when he, when he linked up with Spurs. Um, and then the final quote there is, I am not a magician. And after three weeks, I have found players that want to work and have great commitment, but sometimes it is not enough. And I think that's the that's the real key here is that Antonio Conte is he's getting his feet wet in learning what players actually, you know, are at this level and and want to be at this level. And I think that that's really that's the most important part, especially as we barrel toward a January transfer window. So, Shuban, I guess my question is. Are we seeing an example in these midweek matches in the in the conference league of a number of players, whether they be Davison Sanchez and Jaffa Tanganga and Joe Rodon at the back, or Pierre or uh, 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 Galini in goal? Who, my goodness, the cement boots on that on that fella um, doesn't even move in, in in that in that cage at all. Um, or players like Indombele, players like Darty, um, players like Deli Ali. Are we seeing, you know, a sign that Conte is getting to a point where he's realizing what players are going to be here for the long haul and what players are simply, you know, not long for Tottenham? I think, I think we are seeing definitely a, we are seeing a trend. I'm I'm not going to say that. I mean, like someone like Sessegnon, I'd love to say on Benin Benin, he has been injured, injured. He has not been fully fit. Sure. I don't think he's even fully played. I think he has a he has quality. He's like he's like rare quality that he he's left-footed, and he's been someone we've been watching for a while. I think one of the things I spoke to a friend of mine, um, he's actually the Brentford fan, and um, and I said, Do you know what, our last, you know, we you know Daniel Levy last week said, um, you know, Hitchin's going to shake up recruitment. So Paratici, our recruitment since 2017 has been pretty much awful. Mm-hmm. Even 2016, because the only, I mean. Sissoko was a cult hero, yes. Wanyama, you know, he got injured, so he never only got that one good season out of him. But let's face it, Kankudu never really did anything. Janssen never did anything. You know what I'm saying? Maybe once he had one good back heel to Sonny and Swansea, and that was it. So essentially, you've got, you know, since 2016, which is, I think was our best, 2015, which, was, which really was our best window, we have struggled to recruit well for god knows how many years and you know obviously in one, in one year we didn't recruit at all and i think essentially so but that for me you have to look at the people sign the checks you've got to look at i mean i think pochettino is very culpable here he's made mistakes and who he, who he didn't so who who he signed because i'm assuming i think because it wasn't just him it was um it was pochettino i think oh john mcdermott i think was the other guy and daniel levy so, so, you know, so much as we love, we love Poch and we always will do, 
yeah, Poch definitely you know, made some errors. So I'm hoping that Paratici, Paratici, however you say it, sorry, TC, I'm not, I know TC's like scowling at me now, <laughs> but um, I'm just hoping that we can make some changes. It's not going to happen in January because you've got Newcastle at the bottom of the league. And if I'm Newcastle, I'm going to say to whoever Tottenham want, that's the player I want, and I'm going to offer him double the wages. You know? That's what I would do. And so... Oh. You make a really good point on recruitment, though. I mean, look at a player like Gedson Fernandez who came in on loan, and you know it, it, that was kind of like a panic buy slash loan after Sissoko was hurt in January. And it's like, why are why are why is a team like Tottenham making that kind of move? I mean, there there are there are a number of signings out there that Spurs have made. I mean, look, you can look at the Eric Lamella. You know, we all love Eric Lamella, but like he never really kicked on in the Premier League. He, and you mentioned Sissoko as a cult hero, Lamella in the same way. And and part of that is due to injury. But, you know, part of the injury problem is that this team never has the depth that it needs and never has the full squad that it needs to get through a season and be able to rotate properly and be able to, you know, keep itself healthy. So that's that's the other big issue that I've always, you know, at least, as you mentioned, what did you say, 2017, that this team has really been dealing with this serious recruitment problem? It may even go back a little further than that. I think the last time we challenged, we had, I would say, 14 to 15 good players that you could say, do you know what? Like, I'm going to say Rose and Davies are interchangeable, but, yeah, there wasn't a drastic drop. Same for, let's say, Walker and Trippier. There wasn't a drastic drop, you know? And a pinch, you could bring Soko in, but, you know what I mean? There wasn't that huge drop in players, but since then we have rebuilt, and then that's how I think we've been running on empty since then. We've never really invested in the furniture. We've never said like Dude, these are the players to bring in. I mean, I we all know this probably right. We've probably said this on variations of this show before, but the, our top four record signings: Tongi, Sanchez, Sissoko, Loselso. That's it. Like, look at that. The th- yeah. All right, five is Bergvine. Six is Soldado. All, all, all have been all. I'm gonna say this: all short of Sissoko and Sanchez for about 18 months, it's been nothing but just total fodder. And Sanchez had his moments, or sorry, Sissoko had his moments. He carried us through a really rough 12 months. But those top six, none of them have are worthy of a, a top a top six, you know, record signing at a club like Tottenham. Seven is Regulon, eight is Lamella. Nine is Young Min's son. We got one right. Ten is Mora. You know, now look, look. Brian, part of Brian that part, part of that is, it, and and Scott, it's a really good point. Part of that though is, and the reason that all of those are so recent is just because the money in football has gone up. So obviously, your your more expensive signings are going to be your your most recent ones. It's just kind of the trend. But oh, but, totally. But, but you're right about it. I mean, it, uh, those top guys have not really kicked on, and until they do. You know, and this is this is kind of the the perennial problem with Daniel Levy. He's not going to want to eat the cash on a player like Davis and Sanchez or on a player like Tangi and Dombele if if those guys cannot kick on. And look, uh, I have been so I've been the most wishy washy on a player like Davis and Sanchez. I've thought there are moments where it looks like he can really play. There are moments where it, it, it looks like he's not a championship level player. Thursday it looked like he didn't belong in, in the Slovenian league because the guy could not stand on his feet. I was almost looking forward to Davis and Sanchez starting a match at turf more in the snow, because I wanted to see how far he would slide into the stands <laughs> after the way he slid on Thursday, the man just could not keep his footing. Um, it, it, it was kind of embarrassing to watch him and, and, and what he was doing. And the same goes for a lot of that back line on Thursday, but that continues to be the issue. And and this is another thing that I continued to harp on throughout the summer. And, you know, Dakota wanted us to go to a back three even before we got Antonio Conte. I said, okay, sign three or four center backs and maybe we'll talk. Because right now this team probably has one still, maybe two, one and a half. Um, and, and, and one of those guys in Christian Romero is hurt right now. And even when he's on the pitch, he's liable to, 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 get two yellows in any match or, or just a straight red because he's so aggressive. Um, it's just a really, you know, it's a team that still needs to be rebuilt. And I think that the where, where we started this conversation was with Antonio Conte's quotes about kind of learning 
who is is long for Tottenham and with January looming, I you know, Shuban, you said you don't think there'll be a lot of business done in January. I think there's gotta be some because and I'm not well, I'm not I'm not saying it's not gonna be a bit of a lot of business. What I'm saying is if say if I'm um I don't know Newcastle direct trouble is, but if I'm seeing Tottenham looking to sign XYZ, I'm Newcastle, I don't want to get relegated. So whoever Newcastle Tottenham wanna to sign clearly must be good. I need to sign him and I'll offer him double wage off with you know what I mean. That's the problem. We are competing against a Newcastle flush of cash, desperate to in the Premier League. Honestly, Newcastle, if they can just finish out of the bottom three, that for them is going to be absolutely marred from heaven. That is what See, they want. And, and I actually, I mean, I agree with you. No team wants to get relegated, but I think with Newcastle's, you know, recent influx of, of let's just say, um, money, uh, I, I don't think that they are going to suffer as much if they do get relegated. I think they can bounce right back up if they put the money into the club that they you know now have so i i for a club like that i don't think it's as devastating and it almost can serve could serve potentially as a as a reset button for them well we know that mohammed bel salman is nothing to do with pif right therefore therefore, (laughs) will not roll if newcastle go down because he is not associated with newcastle takeover at all we know that no they won't roll they'll just be placed in a box carefully (laughs) So I just think it's, it's one of those things where they can't because it's not just a go about like whether they can afford to. You've got basically you've got um, Man City and PSG in a pissing contest because Man City, if they could, they would love to be able to take Mbappe from PSG just so Abu Dhabi. Ooh, who wouldn't? <laughs> no, just so Abu Dhabi could piss off Qatar. Even if they had no place for him, they would do that just to piss yeah, off. Yeah, but we, we all know Mbappe is going to Real Madrid. So well, what, I'm, what I'm saying is. I'm saying is they can't afford to be in that whole geopolitical stuff. They can't afford to look bad. And if Newcastle go down, as hilarious as that would be, and as much I would love to see Saudi Arabia, you know, you know, or, or PIF, Jermaine, you, know, right. you have a huge joke on their face. It's something they can't afford. I'm just when I look at that team, for me, I think there are players we just haven't replaced. I mean, I said to a friend of mine, um, Ericsson, we haven't replaced Carrick for a long time. Because they replaced Carrick, it took three years to look modest to really come to the fore. We then took another what two and a half, three years to replace him with um, Ericsson. We haven't replaced Ericsson. We struggle to replace players. We don't realize what well, I mean. These players, hey, either they'll leave or they'll decline, and therefore we need to sort sort that out. And we we have tried. That's why we signed Juan Foyth because we thought well, Alderweireld wasn't resigning a new contract. So what was happening with him? So we, you know, we, we try to sign players, but clearly we are, we're doing something wrong. But yeah. I think someone told me, like, I think one third of signings actually does well. You know, and if you can have, and people say, like, so Alex Ferguson was one of the best managers I've ever seen. I remember, I think it's in 2003, he signed Cleberson, Bellion, and Liam Miller, who were absolutely useless. And do you know what? And the reason they could afford to be useless was in that same year, in that same period, he hired some skinny Portuguese teenager, Cristiano Ronaldo. Kind of thing. And that's what it takes. So someone like Alex Ferguson, who for me is the best manager I've ever seen, can, you know, you can have, I'm obviously Cristiano Ronaldo is phenomenal and what he was able to achieve is ridiculous. But what I'm saying is, it's about having that right signing, but it's being also being prepared to take a hit on the losses. And leading hasn't been able to do that. I mean, we... Famously, he signed, you know, we signed, was it the, the chairman the year before signed Sergei Rebrov. And essentially that same year, I think Hoddle signed, I think Hoddle came in as the manager, didn't like Rebrov, never played him. And essentially we had to take an, an, an eight million pound bar on Rebrov. And that kind of thing, and obviously we also lost, you know, he will not be named on, on, a, on a Bosman to um, Woolwich. So that combination thing, that still haunts the haunts Levy, and that still shapes his decision his decision making to this day. I think, and for me, something has changed at the top. If you want, I think what what do we say? If you want things to change, it doesn't stop to happen at the bottom. The change has to come from the top, and we have to see a new way of thinking. And we've tried that. We've tried the Arneson method. We've tried Kamoli. We've tried so many different things. For me personally, I look at that team. And I'm going to ask you this question. What was more embarrassing, losing to, Slovenia, to a Slovenian fifth-place team or losing to a team when you're 2-0 up 
all you've got to do is just avoid losing. And essentially, to, to a team who had a manager in jail, pretty much. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was more about We became a laughing stock. You know, weirdly, I think I think last year was more embarrassing losing to Zagreb because there was I, I almost think not only is it a higher competition, Europa League versus Conference League, but but I think that there was more of an expectation of doing something there. In this conference league, I know that Spurs are the betting favorite to 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 win this competition, but I just don't think that anyone really has that high a bar for them in this competition. I, I mean Yeah. Well, t- t- for for me, it's like if they bow out, they bow out, you know? Yep, and that, that transitions well into a point that I definitely wanted to make sometime on this show, a conversation I wanted to have, is that I, I do, and Chibon, you posted an article, I believe, at a, from The Athletic in our chat today. No, no I didn't. No, I didn't. That, no. that, oh, that's a paywall thing, so I didn't do that. No, yeah, just just, just the title of the article, and I deduced you know, what the article said from the title, but, but, but no, honest to God, I agree with it, and I put out a tweet on Friday for Thursday after the match that I, you know, may, may stand alone in this opinion and Twitter told me I did it right. But I would prefer us to not advance out of that competition. And, and it sounds a little silly and I know, you know, Tottenham's all about glory, blah, 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 but we have a serious depth issue. We have a shit ton of work to do. And honestly, I don't think that this competition is even prestigious enough to sacrifice the things that we have to focus on as a club. Um, Antonio Conte needs less matches to, to reset this club, fix things and go. And if we go into next premier league season without European football, he's done really well in those situations in past a couple of times, at least. So um, right now it is most important that we reset this club, reestablish an ethos um, than it is to go and potentially win the Euro- European Conference League that we're probably not good enough to win right now. Well, the funny thing is, the funny thing is, though, Scott, like if if if, if they do bow out of the Conference League, which I, I I don't think they will, I definitely think that what will happen is that they'll advance out and then they'll take a 3 a, 0 a lead on Celtic in the knockout round in the first leg and then blow it because that's mm-hmm. just what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, but I, I, you know, if they if they were to bow out, I actually think that gives them a better shot to get a fourth or fifth place finish. I agree. I in, agree. in the league this year and actually get European com- a better European competition for next season. I agree. No, I don't disagree at all. And I think my comment, you know, worst case scenario, we miss Europe. It's not all bad, but I do think that, that there's every chance. I mean, we're, we're, we're snug on the top four right now, which it feels silly to say that because we are fucking not good at football. Right. But we're but no snug one on the top four. No exactly. Exactly. So if Conte didn't have that fodder to deal with, which Conte does not value European competitions. Like that is not, that is not me speculating that it's historical empirical data and evidence. We need to get Juve Dave on the show and I will make that happen. And he will talk about that as well. But Conte does not value European competitions like some well, other managers do. That's though, in some respects, because he actually said, I need this much money to um, take Juve to become European challengers. I agree. But if I can't do that, I have to leave the job. And then, so they said, I then leave. He went to Italy. Then Lego came along and I took him to the final. So, yeah, well, I I think what I mean is he's But my one fear about Conte is the fact that he's a man that he said, like, he's always had. I mean, uh, Inter Milan, they, I mean, Hakimi was one of his players. A lot of money was invested. I mean, people people don't need to remember a lot of money was invested by Inter Milan over these last two years. Mm -hmm. Him, like Lukaku. To get, I think they already had Brozovic, but, but what uh, did they get for it? They got it. They got a Serie A title out of it. Like that's a, that's an amazing prize to have won. They got a Serie A title out of it, but they are massively in debt. They are having to sell because of the, some, I think, because of orders from Beijing. They've been told to a lot of Chinese-owned clubs uh, having to divest their sporting assets on orders from Beijing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yes, he, yes, he won the title, but remember who was coaching against. He was coaching against Pirlo, who took the job at Juve after a week after coaching the kids. You know what I'm saying, I mean, I'm not, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I haven't seen all or nothing because I don't think they've has come out. I think there is an all or nothing Juve at the moment where you've seen it, and it's a train wreck. What's happening at Juve? What happened at Juve that, that season? Well, and and I think you're right. I mean, you know, my my point is maybe that he prioritizes European competition less than the domestic league, like without question. But I also think 
Conte is just a pragmatic dude. I mean, he's he's the type where you know he understands that being the good soldier in this in this era of football is only going to get you one thing, and that's fucking sacked really quickly, right? So like he's 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 not the type to do that and he walked away from inter because they were in debt and he knew exactly what that meant right that there was no opportunity to refresh the squad and rather than saying well i'm going to be the hero and manage them through this disaster like that doesn't work anymore right this game is about money and so he's a pragmatic dude and he leaves and so i do think there's hope that he got certain assurances from the board there's there's no way he wouldn't have he's going to come here because he walks away from everything if he doesn't get what he wants right um right but he's definitely going to value the domestic league over the over European competition, and frankly, I'm okay with that. Like, I'm more than okay with that. I'm okay with that. Like, he's the type of guy. He seems like the type of guy that, like, I know they were in debt, and that's a huge reason why he left. But I, he seems like the type of guy that would say, like, did my job, like I accomplished my goal here at Inter, and I'm going to go try a new project. Like, it's all about winning the league for him. Um, again, I've said this on the show before. He took over Juve after they had just gotten seventh place and missed out of Europe, won the league with no Europe, and then won the next eight league titles, or the club did, right? He, he started all of that. Came to Chelsea, no European football, won the title in his first league, went to Inter, got knocked out of the Champions League, got fourth place last year, right? They didn't have to deal with knockout rounds, won the league. Like He's all about just focusing on the domestic domestic competitions. And again, worst case scenario, we miss out on Europe this year and get knocked out of this thing. Next year is pretty exciting to me. If if, if Conte's reign at Spurs is 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 another two seasons after this, and all he accomplishes is that he gets Spurs back into the top four conversation and maybe wins a wins a domestic cup, um, and just has them, you know, kicking on and playing playing better football and kind of in in the mix for top four every season, kind of like Mauricio Pochettino did, then his job is is accomplished in my mind. Um, mm-hmm. well, you know, even even if it doesn't come with a domestic cup, if he gets Spurs back on that traje- trajectory that they were on under Pochettino, I think that's a win because Spurs fell down, you know, under Pochettino and then under Mourinho to not being in that mix. They fell down to being a an upper tier of the, you know, of the mid table. And, and that's where we are right now, really in, in, in terms of form. Yeah. I'm muted. Shubes. Shubes, you're muted. Shuban, you're muted. So we are basically, we are back where we were when Enoch bought us. Yeah. That's essentially what we are. I agree. We, we, we kind of had moments where we knocked on the door under Yol mm-hmm. and under Ron and obviously more, more recently under Pochettino. But essentially, for most of the Premier League, we were average, bang average. And, you know, Sugar tried, he tried, he called it the impossible job. You know, and Jerry France called it the impossible job. And, you know, it's the same thing. You know, was, this is the 20th anniversary of, was it, no, was it last March? The 20th anniversary of, of uh, Enoch buying off, which they celebrated because they did what they did literally then. They fired a manager. Just before an important cup, cup, right. cup, 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 cup game. So it's just the, the parallels, the irony, just is not lost. And well, I don't know. Is, is that a bad word for you guys? You guys, you guys want to know what that is, right? But um, you know, it's I don't know. It's, when I look at say what we've become and what we need to be, it's you know, I think you can build a stadium because no one can stop you building a stadium. No one can stop you from um, building a training ground. But they can stop you from building a good first team. They can stop you from building a good squad by either tapping them up or buying your players or something like that. And that's a real tricky art. Yeah. You can have, you have two choices. You do what, say, because Chelsea and City. Chelsea, I mean, there's no way City can, Chelsea can do what City do. They can pay good wages, but I don't think they can pay City wages. They, you know, not they wanted to. So they, so they, what they've done is they said, you know what, we're going to basically create a business we're going to get the best kids and loan them out and make as much money as we can from that you've got you liverpool who are trying you know have got very good commercial revenues nowhere near united levels but they're doing whatever they can and you've got united who can basically i mean how much they spent they bought was it ronaldo sancho varan i can't remember who else they signed this season and you know we are competing against that you've got arsenal i don't i don't know who they bought this season 
But it, you know, you know, I think they was they bought Ramsdale and Ramsdale. Everyone's like saying, "Well, shit, oh, that was Ramsdale." They bought Tamiyasu as well. Tamiyasu, and I think they bought Odegaard as well from on loan. But essentially, it's about making the right decisions on and off the pitch to build that first team, to build that squad. And we haven't been doing that. And I'm sorry to go back full circle what we said before, but we haven't been good at doing that. And I, there is no magic formula. I mean, there is no. I mean, I, I know, I know, we actually have this country's football management degree or something, but ultimately, it's about making the right choices. I mean, what was that guy? At, um, he went to oh god, where is D1? I need him. Sevilla. He went to Roma, and he ended up bringing in Allison. He ended up bringing in um, Salah. I think who else? Who else he brought in? And then he went back to Sevilla, and Sevilla again are doing maybe not brilliantly, but they're doing pretty de- pretty decently. But it's so hard to get the right coach. I mean, even at RB Leipzig, what they can, what they're able to do with their models, they can, oh, what you know, we'll bring a player in and we'll try him in RB New York and then we'll bring him to RB Austria and then maybe we'll bring him to the RB, you know, for the German League. We have to try something and hopefully whatever sticks works. Because it is, you know, the best time to know is it's like, I mean, I'm a big WWE, I used to be a WWE fan. You can have something and you have something planned and it just doesn't work. And then you have this angle which no one likes to punish a person called Moppy. This is my, my friend Jake Alcasis. And for some reason that catches on. So I, I want to blame Levy, but at the same time, he's tried everything. You know, he tried directive football. He's tried non-directive football. He tried doing it himself. Sometimes just luck isn't on your side. Sometimes, I mean, the one Yama. I mean, I remember, I still remember that game against Chelsea. You had so many good players. You had Conte, Kante, you had Matic, you had Hazard, um, Kane, obviously, Ericsson, Ali. But for me, it was Wanyama. Him yeah. having that injury, you cannot, you, know, you can't account for that. Sandro, Sandro was a player that I remember absolutely adoring. And I thought, wow, if we can keep him, we can really do well. He got an injury against QPR. He was out for six months, came back, was never the same again. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a hard balance to strike between injury, between decisions like you know, decisions like spending on players like Indombele, Lacelso, Sanchez. But I just my only hope is that you know, eventually, if these players aren't kicking on, that that the chairman will you know know that okay, maybe it's time to cut bait, maybe it's time to to, to cut our losses, and and this is how a football club is run. Sometimes you don't make money on every sale and that's just how it goes. Um, Spurs men, weird trajectory. Uh, Spurs women, however, have been on a, on a different trajectory. They've been on a, an upward swing. And uh, right after the break, we've got a new segment for you guys. Caroline Stefko is going to be in with a women's segment update. Uh, she's going to get you all up to date on what's going on there. And then we'll be back to talk about uh, Spurs men going forward. And we'll do all that right after this. <laughs> Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hey y'all, this is Caroline, and I'm stopping by the Tottenham Depot today to chat about Tottenham Hotspur women. This is actually a really exciting time to be supporting the club's women's team. If you aren't familiar with them yet, this is their 37th season in existence, but it wasn't until recently that they actually gained promotion to the top flight after a couple of seasons in the Championship League. So 2019, they did gain promotion to the WSL. That's the top flight for the women's side. And their first two seasons uh, went about the same, you know, finished seventh place in the first season and finished eighth the next, but actually finished both of those seasons with the same amount of points. This past season is when things really started to get interesting because the club fired the team's longtime co-managers, Karen Hills and Juana Moros, in mid-November. Uh, The team was in 11th place, getting into a relegation battle. So they brought in a more experienced manager in Rian Skinner. 
She had previously worked as a first team manager for Leicester and then as an assistant coach with England's women's team, the Lionesses. I'll talk a little more about Rian later, uh, but a few other things from last season just to get everyone up to speed. We only won five matches last season, so it was a little rough. Um, and a lot of that, I think, came down to personnel. We did have some interesting roster updates um, throughout the season, actually. One of those, which you might be familiar with, is that Alex Morgan, um, a U.S. international player, actually came into the team for a temporary loan. She was, you know, trying to get her fitness back up after coming back from um, having her child. And so the Pride let her come over to England and she only made five appearances for the team and scored just two goals. But I do think that having her with the squad did a lot to improve the profile of the club as a whole. For me personally, it really got me excited to follow the team week in and week out. Whereas before I had just caught a match here and there. Um, I was really encouraged last season to keep up with the team full time, just like I do the men's team. But with Morgan only um, playing a few games with the team, we also had an issue with just having some staleness in the squad. You know, a lot of players who had been around for a while and just weren't working out. Um, and we really needed to get to the next level to really compete in the WSL. So during the preseason, uh, a lot of us who follow the team were quite shocked to hear that the club was letting go 11 first team players. And, you know, this included some pretty decent players like, for example, Alana Kennedy, who's an international player with Australia. And I'll be honest that it had me feeling pretty nervous about how this season was going to go. But by the time the season began, we had brought in 10 new players. And I would still say that we don't have a lot of marquee names, uh, but we do have some international players, you know, international talent. And the important thing we have going for us this season is that Rian Skinner finally has the squad that she wanted. Um, she's been able to implement some of her new ideas and tactics, and you're really starting to see it all come together. The season really could not have started any better. We went on a four-game winning streak to begin, and that included an upset win over Manchester City on the second match day. Now, if you've followed the WSL, you probably know that there are a few teams who are considered, you know, the perennial favorites. You've got Chelsea, you have Arsenal, unfortunately, <laughs> and also the two Manchester teams are kind of, you know, that next level down from Chelsea and Arsenal. And Manchester City were really unlucky to be coming into the season with quite a few injuries to key players. Um, and that definitely was a factor in our match, I'm not going to lie. But we fought hard, and even though the winning goal ended up coming off of quite an embarrassing uh, refereeing error, uh, where they really you know, should have seen that the ball hit Rosella Ayan's hand in the lead-up to the goal, but they did not, and there's actually no VAR in the WSL, which this one time definitely worked in our favor. But, you know, luck aside, I think that this fixture and the result really proved that we were going to be a force to be reckoned with this season. We weren't the same team from last year. We'd brought in some new players. Rian has the team looking really organized and much stronger defensively. And that just continued through the next few games. Uh, since then, we have lost two and drawn two, so we haven't been able to get another win in the league. But one of those draws was another huge result for the team, and I mean like a historic result. <laughs> so we played the Women's North London Derby, and usually that is a game that we, you know, you go into it and you're just dreading it because they've always just destroyed us. And that includes a recent result against them in the FA uh, Women's Cup, where they beat us, I think it was 4-1. to one. <laughs> So again, they always beat us, but they didn't this time. The first half was really a struggle with Arsenal creating a lot of chances, but our keeper, and I'm going to talk some more about our keepers later because they've been super important this season, uh, but the keeper on the day was Corpola, 
and she really kept us in the game with some superb saves. She was my personal vote for player of the match that day. Um, But yeah, we got into the second half with it still scoreless. And in the second half, we really turned it on offensively. And we scored first through Rachel Williams. And that was just huge. You could tell everyone in the stadium was super excited. You know, we had the lead. This was the first time that Arsenal had trailed the entire season. So, you know, this was kind of uncharted territory across the league. The kind of heartbreaking thing is that right after Rachel Williams scored, we actually had a chance to double the lead through Ashley Neville, and she missed an absolute sitter. It was so sad. (laughs) But the team did really well to keep the lead for as long as they possibly could, and then a couple minutes into stoppage time, Vivian Miedema just did Vivian Miedema things and found a header to equalize and you know the game ended shortly after that and it's a mark of how much this team has improved this season that I actually felt super disappointed that we did not pull off the win because I really thought we could I you know a draw is still a huge result against the Arsenal team but I wanted that win and I know every single player on the pitch did too and in the next game we were playing in the league cup which they call the Conti cup And that ended up being another just massive result. We beat Watford 11-0 with two hat tricks from Rosella Ion and from Angela Addison. And, you know, we're top of our group, all but guaranteed to go through um, thanks to our massive goal difference. And I was really hoping we could carry all that momentum from the Arsenal draw and that blowout win against Watford into the game on this past weekend against West Ham. Unfortunately, we ended up losing that game 1-0, but the loss was overshadowed, I feel, by the fact that we had an injury to one of our key players this season, uh, Kit Graham. She had to be stretchered off the field, and we just found out yesterday that she tore her ACL, and she's going to be out the remainder of the season, so that is just gutting Uh, She's definitely been one of our top performers and involved, and it it feels like almost every goal that we've scored this season. So that is a massive bummer. So now the women's teams are all in an international break. And looking back on the season so far, I would say that our key strengths have been definitely our defensive stability, which is a huge improvement over last season, where we looked, to be honest, quite hapless in defense at times. And Our goalkeeping has really been a huge strength. You know, our main keeper, Becky Spencer, she's been out a few games with injury, but the new player that we brought in this season, uh, Tini Corpola, she has been just as great between the sticks, in my opinion. So it's great that we have two very solid goalkeeping options. A couple of the other newcomers that I've been most impressed with so far are Molly Bartrip in defense and Maeva Clemeron, one of our midfielders. Uh, She's really great about always looking for that progressive pass. So I'm excited to see, you know, what she can do as she gets more in tune with our attacking options as the season goes on. And then speaking of forwards, the big question is going to be who is going to be able to replace, you know, what Kit Graham was bringing to the team. I am personally been really impressed with Chioma Ubugagu, another one of our newcomers, Uh, Kaya Simon. She's an Australia International. She hasn't quite integrated into the team yet, I don't feel, but she shows a lot of potential. And Jessica Naz has really improved over the past season. So I'm excited to see what happens. So that's it for now. I'll be back after the two games that we have coming up in December um, against Aston Villa away and Everton at home. In the meantime, I also run a newsletter called Spurs Across the Pond, where I'm covering um, both the men's and the women's team recapping games, previewing games. You can also find me on Twitter at CGStefco. So until next time, come on you Spurs. Welcome back into the Tottenham Depot. Andrew Shuban, Scott here with you. Thanks again to Caroline Stefco for, for the Spurs women's segment. Again, you can follow her at CGStefco uh, on Twitter. Um, Guys, I wanted to talk about the kind of what lies ahead because Spurs had this weird postponed match that we talked about and we started to talk about Brentford comes up on Thursday, then another home match against Norwich on on Sunday, 
Um, I will say Norwich, unlike unlike Scott, who will probably say Norwich. Um, but we'll just we'll just leave that one on the table. <laughs> and then next Thursday, the the final group stage match in the Conference League against Wren. Um, beyond that, you know, you turn around, it's Brighton, Leicester, two two away trips. Then you turn around, it's Liverpool. Then you've got a, a, a cup quarter final against West Ham. You've got Palace on Boxing Day, uh, Southampton two days later, and then in the new year, you know, Watford, Arsenal, Chelsea. I mean, the, these these fixtures over the next six to eight weeks are quite hefty and, and quite plentiful. Um, Spurs right now, after kind of the weekend's matches, obviously with the game in hand, but they sit seventh on 19 points. They're one point back of Wolves, uh, four points back of both West Ham and Arsenal. And that's when you start talking about European spots. So four points with a game in hand is not a huge gap, but you know, teams like United, Brighton, Leicester, all a point back, obviously, as I said, game in hand, but, um, I guess in the immediate future, it's, it's Brentford and Norwich at home, two games this week that we would think Spurs can, if they put out that first team rather than that that kind of mismatch A B slash C team that they put out last Thursday in Slovenia, you would think Spurs can go and get a result, right? But this is Spurs, and we've got to all kind of take this with a grain of salt. But what do we? What, how do we feel at least confidence wise going into matches? Um, obviously, Norwich are in the relegation zone. Brentford, as we talked about earlier, are more of a mid-table club. But how are we feeling right now about this next week going into these matches? I I have a lot of questions about the month of December because I think we we will see some resets in January. I, I do expect uh, some movement. Um, how much, I don't know. I mean, if I come out and say, just wait till January, the Enoch outcry will just jump all over our mentions, right? And say, it's silly of you to expect that, blah, blah, blah. But like I said, Conte will have had some sort of assurances because everybody on the fucking planet knows he wouldn't have taken the job without it, right? Um, there's just no way. But December's dicey, man. We just don't have, we don't have talent and depth like we talked about. And I'm not even convinced with some of our talent right now. I mean, you know, Kane Kane did score a nice goal the other day, but it, how the fuck does Harry Kane not beat Murrah? Just take the fucking ball and put it in the back of the net, right? If you're as good as everybody thinks you are. Um, as as someone who bet on him to score a brace on Thursday, I can I can also share the <laughs> frustration. That, I can I can echo that sentiment. Yeah, yeah. It's like people are going to say he scored a great goal, but dude, how if you are the fucking best striker on the planet? Take the goddamn ball and put it in the back of the net against a shitty Slovenian team. Just fucking get it done. Because the best players in the world would have, right? Um, Sonny, love you to death. We need you to come back to form. And I know you will. I I know you will. You are this fucking the heart of this club. But I need you to come back to form. Um, and there's a few guys that I don't want to see play in January, period. I, I'm just going to say it. I don't want to see Tongi, Delhi, or Doherty ever in a Spurs shirt again. I really don't care to. I think they can all be sold in January and we'll be just fine for it. Um, and I would be I would be perfectly okay with some of the youth members getting minutes over those guys. Like, I would let Niall John play if I'm Conte and just show these fucking boys that can't show up against Murrah and, and value that competition enough to, to, to give a shit for a brand-new world-class manager, right? Just prove to him that you deserve to be part of this squad. We weren't able to do that. Goodbye, Nile John gets an opportunity, and like that sounds drastic, but that's literally where we're at until we can re- refurbish the squad in January. Um, so I have a lot of questions, but um, yeah, not terribly confident if I'm if I'm being honest. Honestly, I'm not looking forward to actually just meeting the guys from Charlottesville Spurs yeah. and going home and just not. So I'm not. I mean, I might watch the game, but it's a case of you know what I'm. I remember like I can't remember what it was, but there's sometimes. There's just an apathy right now about Spurs. It's like sometimes if I'm watching Spurs, I'm just going through the motions. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, no, no question. I, I mean, same. I saw a number of people today that were excited that the match was postponed because they, it, they, they felt like, oh well, at least my Sunday won't be ruined. Like that's not great. If I, you know, for for all intents and purposes, that's a bad thing if you're Spurs and you see those kinds of things out there on yeah. social media. Not great. Yeah. No, it's spot on, man. And and that's just that's the the issue with 
you know, from top to bottom for this club and for this board and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I feel like at times we seem, we seem a little spoiled, right? You know, we act like it's all doom and gloom because we're not at the top of the game. But the, the thing is, is that we, we kind of should expect to be there now. Right. Like I think we're kind of past the point of, of, you know, needing to count our blessings for where we're at. Like Brighton, for example, them booing Graham Potter, fucking ridiculous. Like just Google your club's history before and and then reconsider your decision to boo Graham Potter yesterday. Right. But booing Nuno right before he was sacked, I think, you know, carries a little bit more value and validity just because of where Tottenham has been. And I think, if we have ambitions as a club and a fan base, it is definitely to start. It is time to stop saying things like, you know, let's not forget of where we were and where we are now and all that, because we, as Shivon said, are right back to where we were when Enoch bought us. And the difference between now and then is we were in the fucking champions league final three years ago. Right now we're right back to where Enoch, you know, we were when Enoch bought us and that is startling and it's all, all, all down to recruitment and terrible purchasing as far as player assets incoming and outgoing. Because if our boy with Dakota was here, Dakota, I love you. I know you would be telling me right now that Levy has done a fantastic job of getting the club to a, you know, position to be successful for the future in the modern game. But I'm talking about on-field instances right now. And as Shivon said earlier, our recruitment over the last three and a half years has taken this club so far backwards. It's fucking mind bending. Um, you know, we got Paratici in. That was a good hire. It was extremely important. I think if I'm Levy last summer and I don't sign a single player, but I get I get a good director of football in, I'm feeling better about where I was. Right um, now, hopefully the dude stays out of jail and that's probably a whole nother fucking podcast. But <laughs> Ooh, that, you know, that, that wasn't me that said that, by the way. Yeah, yeah it was, it was I, DSM Spurs, all right? <laughs> no, but all jokes aside, I think he's going to be okay. It sounds like it is down to, to some some dealings on the Archer deal, and we're not breaking any news, right? We don't truly know. But, um, but either way, you know, we got our director of football in, so I do think we're in a position to maybe stop some of that bleeding, and it, it won't happen in one window, right? But – the interesting thing about Conte is it kind of has to happen in one or two windows or the dude's gone. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't really know where I'm going with that fucking rant. I'm just oh, to, to your point, there. to your point on Enoch, we are, we are uh, also, you know, there was some financial stuff that came out this week, some reporting and we are, we are uh, efforting our good friend, Chad uh, to, to, to come on at some point and give us a better understanding. He's going through the, the studies of that. He's an expert in the, in the financial game and, um, you know, we are efforting him as well to, to come on at some point in the next handful of weeks or months um, to, to give us a better understanding of exactly what's going on with the financials of the club. But you're right. Recruiting, recruiting, recruiting. It all comes down to that. And, um, you know, that's it's 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 kind of where we are. I I would, I think, side a little bit more with Dakota in the sense that, no, I don't think that Enoch has done a good job with the on the football on on the football side of things on on, on field stuff. Um, but I think they've done a good job of the off-field stuff. It's 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 the difference of delegation and where those things can can mesh and match up. And for me, I would just as soon rather, you know, appreciate that Spurs are always entertaining, which is good when you're doing a podcast on Spurs every week, uh, and they always give us something to talk about. Uh, we would just like for it to be more positive stuff to talk about. That's about it. So, I mean, that's kind of where I'm at with all of it, but. Um, yeah, I, you know, re- regardless, it's, it, it's exciting and it's, you know, losses to teams like Murrah and Dynamo Zagreb when their manager is, is in jail, uh, are, are not fun when, when you, when you want this, the success of the club to be paramount. Um, but they, at the very least will, will give us something to, something to discuss and something to talk about. So, uh, that's kind of where we're at, right? yeah absolutely man like like Shivon said it's just kind of going through the motions watching the club and um i i honestly i laughed literally by myself just laughed out loud when mira scored the other day and just oh i literally just thought it was the funniest shit i'd ever seen and i just went to my kitchen and made a nice plate of of snacks you know i was home for thanksgiving in iowa with my family and my mom went and bought about a month worth of groceries for my five day stay. So I was eating well, right. <laughs> but I just went and made another plate of food and, 
explain to my now my brother was there i should i got to give him a shout here he's a massive qpr fan he has you know he's worked with the club on some video stuff he's a videographer and um legitimate qpr fans spends time at at, is it loftus road yeah loftus road all the time and has been in in the offices and all that but he was with me so he was able to kind of help me explain to my family what was actually happening right but uh my brother also reminded me that he would give anything to be in the Europa Conference League as a QPR fan, and I should shut my fucking mouth and, you know, not laugh that my team just got knocked out of it. But, um, you know, whatever. And, and that's the thing, too. They didn't even get knocked out of it. It just feels yeah, like that. Exactly. So, I hope to God we do. Yeah, I just well, hope we get smoked by Ren. And sorry, that sounds terrible. But No, I mean, it's – hey, man. That's you're so not the only, to say that. You're not the only one that shares that feeling and that opinion. And look – Spurs may go out and try like hell to beat Ren and may not be able to do it. We just don't know what's going to happen. So at this point, uh, that's where we are. It's interesting too. Like I know we're trying to wrap up, but I saw this, this post on Twitter and I don't know who it was. Right. But how many times have we lost to significantly lesser competition in either the Europa league or the Europa conference league? And it dates back to like, like I, 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 I didn't like Groomsby in the league cup. Yeah, we we lost to Grimsby in yeah, the League Cup. Yeah, I think yeah, the old right. in the lasagna year. Hold on a second. Well, and even yeah. even teams like Colchester in Pochettino's last season, like we just mm-hmm. any any time it's not the Premier League or the Champions League, we just seem to not show up. And I don't know, I don't know if it's a management thing. I think it's much more on the fucking group of idiots that put the shirt on every day. But um, I don't know, man. We just we don't seem to turn up for anything that's not Premier League or Champions League football. Well, and even some Champions League football. I mean, they didn't turn up against Leipzig when they played them. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And you know, we were in a bit. They didn't turn up. They didn't turn up against Bayern that one time. Yeah, seven to two. And that that was the the the, you know the last six months of the Pochettino reign, and we all know what that was. But they certainly turned up the year before in Amsterdam, right? So, um, I don't know, man. I I just uh, I I just think we we've got a lot of things to work on on the field, off the field at the highest level of the club as a fan base. Um, mm-hmm. It's a lot of work for Tottenham ahead. And that's where I just make the argument over and over and over that the less football we have in front of us, the easier it is to work on some of that stuff. Right. Um, come on, you fucking Spurs. Yeah. Well, we certainly got less football this week too. And uh, you know, unexpectedly, but uh, like you say, for all of the football that is here, we're, we're here to talk about it. We'll be back with you next week to talk about it as well. Uh, for, for Scott, who is at DSM Spurs, chilling up there in the corner pocket. For Shuban out there in London, who is at The Real Shuban. Uh, I've been your host, Andrew. I'm at Aesteca. And you can follow us uh, at Tottenham Depot on both Twitter and Instagram. And again, thanks again to Caroline Stefko. Follow her at CG Stefko. Uh, and we will be back with you next week to talk about two matches, Norwich and Brentford, that I think are going to be very entertaining. And, and I think are going to be full of surprises uh, because that's always what it is with Spurs, right? It's always losing to Murrah and then getting a game postponed at Turf Moor against Burnley. There's always something new around the corner when it comes to Tottenham Hotspur, and uh, we'll be here to discuss it next week with you here on the Tottenham Depot. Until then, as always, come on, you Spurs. Thank you so much for stopping by the Tottenham Depot. Thanks to Scott Bird for our intro music as well as the tunes you are hearing right now. Thanks to Dakota Booth for our artwork. Thank you as well to our spouses who put up with our obsession with this football club and for all that they do. And thanks to you, the listener, who really makes this happen. Supporters make this club, and you, the listener, are what make this podcast possible. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Tottenham Depot, and as always, come on, you Spurs.